0: Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us in yet another overcast day here in the capital. However, it's not overcast in weather, it's overcast in the uh, shadow of the COVID-19 outbreak. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Dr. Callie Seaman, Director of Aqualabs, a company uh, dedicated to creating high-performance plant fertilisers and plant health products. Callie, hello. Good morning. How are we doing? Very well. Thank you for coming on the program. May I assume you're working from home today?
1: Yes, I am. We made the decision last week to self-isolate. My son started to show symptoms of a cough, so we made that decision and we've told everybody not to come near the house. There's been a lot of drop-offs happening outside the
0: house, but... (laughs) We have to adapt. And I do hope your son is, is uh, recovering well.
1: Oh, he's, he's fine now. Um, I, I'm, not, I'm not 100% sure he actually had the uh, virus, but the symptoms were there, so we made that decision for the safety for everyone.
0: Now, before we get into our conversation on leadership, how has the COVID-19 outbreak affected your business?
1: Well, we didn't see it coming. Um, We really didn't see the kind of effects. Now, we've always been about planning ahead and making sure we've always had three months' worth of stock. Because we're a a manufacturing company as well, we're we're constantly planning ahead, making sure that we've always got the active ingredients we need, but what it really has had the effect on is those products that we will import and the uncertainty of actually getting them into the country as well. The uncertainty of when um, deliveries will be picked up. Uh, we, we actually contract a, a number of our uh, services out as well. So we have our bottling done um, by another company. And this has had a, a real knock-on effect because their work, st- their staff, their staffing numbers have actually gone down. So we had actually been knocked back a a, a two-week lead time now. Mm. So it's had a really big knock-on effect on all parts of our business. We've now got two people as well uh, away from the actual warehouse. Our uh, manufacturing manager, he has shown symptoms, so he is self-isolating. But very luckily, our premises is very easy to be able to have uh, distance and that social distancing needing between Mm. our uh, workforce at the moment.
0: Now, uh, do you believe that as as a result of this uh, entire uh, situation, uh, British manufacturers become less reliant on overseas materials?
1: Definitely. What well, it's certainly, um, it's something we've been discussing. Is one of the key ingredients we actually import. Uh, it has actually focused me on uh, developing the R and D process to actually be able to produce that in house. It was something we'd actually been discussing to do and buying in in equipment to be able to do this. Now it has been put to the front of the list to actually really be able to make these products within house instead of relying on imports as well. It should. Uh, increase productivity and efficiency and reduce the costs as well. So in some ways, this has been a, 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 uh, there is silver lining to actually this this virus that has Mm. come about because it's actually... Yes, definitely. More resilient. Um, I mean, when we actually first initially, uh, a week ago, we had a meeting of of actually saying we really do need to put uh, actions into plan. We realized how resilient we were and how much planning we'd actually got in place. But there are many companies that didn't have these in place. For us, the amount of orders and the panic buying has also gone up. Um, It really has increased dramatically in the amount of orders that we're trying to get out. When that will plateau, we're not quite sure um this could happen in the next couple of weeks if we have a national lockdown or not um that's to be seen really
0: well, it seems to put to rest all of those uh, fears that were being uh, stirred up at the time of uh, the brexit discussions instead of saying you know there'd be mass panic at a, a at a no deal brexit. How quaint that all feels today, doesn't it? Um <laughs> I, definitely. Now, uh moving on to uh the subject of leadership, my long-time listeners will be expecting me to ask my favorite question to start off this discussion. What does the word leader mean to you?
1: To me, it means you never ask a staff member to do anything you're not willing mm. to do yourself. Um, There is not a job within our company that I have not done um, or willing to do. Um, When we first initially started six years ago, I was manufacturing the 2,000 litres of nutrient that involved picking 25 kilo bags up and putting this into um, the actual mixing vessel. Cleaning out some of the IBCs, the actual containers, all of those jobs I'm willing to do and still willing to do now. And once I'm able to return to work, will be straight back on that shop floor. A leader, a good leader, will, will turn their hand to anything and not question that a job is below them because there is no job below anybody.
0: So it's really about leading by example.
1: Exactly, exactly.
0: Well, let's take a trip back in time to when you first started out your working life. Were there any particular individuals or a set of circumstances that really formed the way that you lead today?
1: Well, I initially started um, 20 years ago within um, the actual uh, hydroponic industry and um, when i was i was actually just on the retail side of things and then moved into manufacturing i saw the company go into administration and so many sorts of little mistakes that were made but what i did see is from that initial company we were a family and it was it was all about staff first and when we started Aqualabs, one of my goals was to always put my staff first, to make sure that they felt that they came first. They weren't just a number. They they meant something to me. And one of the things in, in the last kind of six years what I've done is I've put into place that they have got private health care. Mental health is a very important issue. And a lot of people will ignore it due to the fact that going to see a council is so expensive. I have made sure that my staff have that support to be able to do that and not worry about the the cost of this. And um, also through this period of time here, we've had a lot of staff worried about that if we have a lockdown, am I not going to get paid? Am I not going to able to pay uh, the bills? Be able to pay my mortgage, my rent? Something we we, we actually reassured all of our staff is that they will have full pay whenever, uh the, the government has these restrictions in place. We, we don't want to have them worrying about pay. We don't want them to worry about where their next meal is coming from. If we can alleviate that kind of stress for them, that is what we aim to do.
0: They come first. Mm, mm. It's fantastic to hear that you're putting your employees' uh, needs first. Uh, Of course, uh, employees are humans, and humans have the tendency to sometimes become uh, stressed, uh, and it's fantastic that you have that uh, systems in place. What brought forward that decision? Uh, How did you take the decision to provide comprehensive mental health for your employees? (laughs)
1: Well, myself, over the years, I've had some issues with that. Um, I suffer with epilepsy, so um, I obviously have have dealt with some of these kind of uh, mental issues Mm -hmm. over the years with stress, which has, has caused my fits to exacerbate. So, what I felt was very important to make sure that my staff felt that they were supported whatever they're going through and something else I've always tried to do with my staff as well is ensure them that family comes first. If they've got problems with their children, they need to leave because their children are sick and pick them up from school, that comes first. We will all pull together and make sure that they feel that they're not going to be out of pocket due to unforeseen circumstances something that we pride Mm. ourselves
0: in now we mustn't uh uh, pretend for a minute though that people cannot be difficult because they absolutely can um people are uh, of course staff are humans and they do sometimes get into difficulties with each other or they don't perform as they should how do you resolve conflict within the workplace
1: well, what we'll, we'll tend to do is sit down and speak to them, and find out what the problem is, and find out if there's any underlying issues. I encourage people to go to counsellors and talk about that. We encourage people to uh, eat well, as uh, mm. you know, look at their actual diets that they're. Um, that intake of what they're taking in as well. It's all about sitting down and communicating with them, not ignoring the problem. Um, It's not always easy to do that, and conflicts will always occur. But ignoring a problem won't make it go away. It it certainly doesn't make it go away. Um, I've seen this in the past, and as I say, sometimes I'm not the ideal person to sit down with them to speak to. So we work as a team and we discuss it. We don't like to put formal um, kind of uh, warnings in place we like to discuss and, and find out how, you know what is the underlying issue you know is there something that we can help with and again this private health care that we put into place was something that we felt would help people because if you can go and talk to a counsellor or if you've got a back problem you will get that sorted a lot quicker if you feel that it, it isn't a financial burden on you.
0: Now, unfortunately, our time together is drawing to its close, but what does the next 12 months have in store for Aqualabs?
1: Well, we've got new products coming out. Um, we are, um, we've partnering up with a number of different um, licensed cultivators within this country. Uh, we're looking at helping to improve uh, medicinal compounds within plants using our fertilization regime, um, particularly with medicinal cannabis. Um, there is a, a number of things we had in place, but until Corona uh the coronavirus and everything is um settled down with that at the moment, there's a little bit of uncertainty how we are going to move forwards. Um, we're looking as well to hopefully take more staff on um eventually and something that I pride myself in is taking staff who have already been out of work for a number of times fifty percent of our workforce were unemployed before we actually employed them as well. So Mm. this is something we strive to do to put employment back into the community and not just steal other people from um, other companies. Um, So hopefully the coronavirus will pass very quickly and hopefully we can help more people and and hopefully help the change that needs to occur in this country and lead by example.
0: Well, Callie, it's been an absolute pleasure discussing leadership with you and I very much hope you come back on the programme at some point in the near future. It would be my pleasure. That was Dr. Callie Seaman, director of Aqualabs. And now if you haven't heard it before, it's Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Lord Blunkett.
2: Uh, We're joined uh, today by uh, David Blunkett, Lord Blunkett, former Home Secretary, former Education Secretary. David, thank you very much for joining us today. You're very welcome. Uh, It's always a pleasure, but uh, since we are talking around the theme of Leadership, it would be a remiss of me if we didn't start with the leadership election going on in the Labour Party. Apart from, I'm sure you're that a certain someone is leaving a post, what are your thoughts on it so far? Well, I think the
3: party membership have got to make a very clear decision. Uh, are they in, in the stands watching or are they on the pitch playing? And if they want to play, then the two candidates that are in for the future are Lisa Nandy and Keir Starmer. I'm personally backing Lisa because I think she's a brave woman with a tremendous amount to give. She's got really good, positive ideas. I like them because they're about building from the community rather than command and control from the centre. They're about a new form of social democracy and socialism rather than trying to replicate a failed past. And she can reach out to people that others can't. So... I'm I'm giving her my backing. I think Keir Starmer is very professional, Mm. very able and presents extremely well. And I I hope that one of those two uh, actually
2: come through in the election on the 4th of April. Uh, There has been a lot of criticism, especially from uh, four candidates a little further left um, than them, who have criticised even the last Labour uh, uh, government as being part of 40 years of Thatcherism. Yes, I think it's really unfortunate Uh,
3: particularly when new MPs come in, having seen large swathes of their colleagues lose their seat, uh, to roll up the 13 years of Labour government with everything that I'm so proud of. I mean, we we were not neoliberals or anything like it. We were able, in the first 10 years certainly, uh, which I played a part in, to be able to turn the economy around, to invest in health and education, to be able to transform people's aspirations and their hopes for the, the future, and that included ensuring people got the minimum wage, which we never had before, Sure Start to nurture youngsters from the most moment they were born, transformation in the quality of education. And all these things actually add up to helping people to improve and change their lives for the better. And anyone who thinks that's not good and that isn't a government to be proud of needs to answer the question, what chivalet is it that you would want that would actually have done more to change those lives? I can think of two or three myself in terms mm. of uh, dramatically taking on uh, equ- inequality, although half a million children were taken out of poverty in those years. I can think of being even tougher on crime, even though I was dubbed as one of the tougher home secretaries because the people that I cared about most were on the whole, not exclusively, but mainly the victims of crime. I can think about taking on the very, very rapidly growing transnational power of the big tech companies, which we still need to work through in terms of how we do that from a a single nation just off the coast of Europe Mm -hmm. and how we work internationally without getting caught up in wars we don't want to be involved in. But how, how are we international? in a way that ensures that we play our part in making a better life for humanity as a whole rather than disengaging and becoming alien from the rest of the world. Those are big questions for the social democratic left, particularly with artificial intelligence and robotics changing the world of work forever, I think, in the next 20 years. Uh, An ageing population. Labour got 18% of the over 65 vote in the general election. Just 18%. It's staggeringly... It's extraordinary. ...staggeringly bad. Um, And And climate change, which we all know is going to be either a big gain or a terrific political trauma. We've got to take people with us.
2: No matter uh, which political party it is, the changes that will occur in this decade especially will determine their future ideologies. certainly. And speaking of your time uh, as home section in government, you worked with so many different individuals of all political stripes and none at all. Is there someone, and on the theme of leadership, that stands out to you that embodies some of those qualities you described earlier? Yes, I mean,
3: it's on the theme of bottom-up, it was some of the most inspiring uh, head teachers and classroom teachers who, in really, really difficult circumstances, were actually transforming the life chances of children by inspiring those children to want to learn, to, if you like, lighting a candle inside them, uh, giving them a, a a window on the world, which created an inquiring mind and an understanding that the world was their oyster, that they could do things with support. My, my philosophy has always been mutuality and reciprocity. We we need mutuality to support each other. We need reciprocity in terms of understanding that we don't just take, we we give a lot as well. And I suppose that really comes down to Uh, if you're prepared to do something for yourself, we're prepared to do something to help you. And that's fundamentally in education, but it is in all sorts of walks of life as well. So you can have innovation, you can have entrepreneurship and creativity in, in business, you can have the way in which people turn things around for themselves. Small businesses have done that, the contribution to... Uh, new ways of doing things, of thinking differently about our economy. Th- those are all grit to the mill. Those are the things we need to do. And we can do them together. It's not that you're on the side of the devil if you're an entrepreneur or you're on the side of the angels if you work in public services. We we mm. are dependent on each other.
2: Uh, you can't have one without the other. Yes. Um, and I think to coin it, um, uh, uh, extraordinary, ordinary people, and especially when it comes to giving your answer, David, to uh, teachers, to carers, people that honestly don't get the recognition they deserve on a day-to-day basis. And without them, half of society wouldn't function.
3: Completely. I I call it civil society, which functions even when government isn't functioning. It's it's the glue that holds things together. It's people working and living and having their being together and recognising that they are dependent on each other. I've obviously met incredibly inspiring leaders... In a different vein, I was very fortunate to have met Nelson Mandela three times. Uh, I met Bill Clinton a number of times, both of whom, in very, very different ways, were inspiring leaders. I've met people in leadership positions who couldn't take a decision to save their lives. Uh, Tony Blair famously said in his conference speech the year before he stood down as prime minister conglomerating, I suppose you would call it, plagiarising thoughts, ideas, ways forward from everyone around you. I often think that um, football managers wouldn't do too bad a job if they actually talked to the fans after the game.
2: Well, everyone knows, uh, David. You know you're a big Sheffield Wednesday fan. It I know. Can't be easy having to hear the it, praise of Chris Wilder and Sheffield United every week after. No, week. I, it isn't. Although it's damn good for
3: Sheffield, so I'm being a bit magnanimous at the moment. That's very good about of you. Sheffield United in the Premier League because it it it's change. It does change. It lifts the image of the city internationally. If you're not just because it's Sheffield United, but because if you're playing Liverpool uh, and you're playing Man City then that's a global audience you're immediately beamed across the world so that's good i i, I could cry sometimes we can we can beat uh, brighton premier league side in the fa cup at brighton we can beat leeds at leeds i was there when we beat them 2-0 in january and then you can and lose 5-0 th- at <laughs> home to blackburn and half the fans were out of the ground by, by the half time what, what would
2: a manager blanket say in this situation I,
3: I would have asked myself a very simple question what went wrong with motivating those players so that when they came out on the field they walked instead of ran they didn't have any of the passion they'd had the week before at Leeds they showed no drive and incentive to take hold of the game what, what went wrong with the same players who would played very well the week previously. And if you could answer that question, and there may have something may have happened, who knows? Something during the morning before the game started, something may have gone sour. You get the answer to that question and you then start to ensure that we never never do this again. Well
2: I'm a Chelsea fan, so I'm beginning to feel your pain at the minute. Um (laughs) but I would like to pick up on another point you just made actually, David, about choosing a strong team, people that compliment you. A lot of criticism that uh, Theresa May got as Prime Minister was that she tended not to pick, perhaps, the more ambitious, the more uh, 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 people uh, uh, ministers that might well challenge her. One of Boris Johnson's, for all his faults, uh, he has been said in the past, he's a man that picks people that are good at their briefs. Do you agree with that? Assistant? Well, I'll reserve
3: judgment on that until I see the outcome of the reshuffle, which, as we record this podcast has not yet happened Mm. and I imagine I I would be very surprised if he didn't have quite a brutal reshuffle not just to get people in who he likes but people who are going to be really sparky and able and clear at doing the job because you can have all the best ideas in the world you can pronounce on what you're going to do but if you haven't got leaders in those departments Prepared to do it. If they're just toadies, by the way, and there is a tendency, a new mm-hmm. Prime Minister, larger majority, got to be very careful that you don't pick people because you're receiving the echo of your own voice uh, when you're speaking to them. But get able people in. I, I, I won't comment on some of the less able, but there are <laughs> clearly <laughs> in the cabinet, as I speak at the moment, people who are really just not up to it. I mean, incidentally, anyone who won't be cross examined. By decent journalists on the BBC, um, changed their minds recently about mm. Sky, <clears throat> isn't worth their salt. If but Part of being cross-questioned is to demonstrate to yourself that you've got a grasp of your brief, that you believe in it, and that you can persuade people of it. And if you can't do that under real cross-examination, rather than sitting on the sofa for a, a, an easy morning television programme, get out of the business. You know, don't, don't w- do not it. Without a doubt.
2: Yeah. Uh, that's And also, I should add, that is how uh, of all stripes earn that respect in the first place.
3: But there is a question, isn't and there? I try and answer the questions. That's, <laughs> that's what I always try to answer the or questions. Or
2: be very good at avoiding them. Either way. Um, oh, well, the, the way of avoiding them is
3: to take it head on and say, I'm, I'm not going to answer that question. Explain why.
2: Quite. Uh, <laughs> the... Um, And I think one of the great things about uh, the Leeds Council especially is that um, it takes and talks to people, again, from all different backgrounds, leading something very different, whether it's a charity, whether it's a business, whether it's in politics. There comes points, though, and David, you must have experienced this, whether as leading Sheffield City Council or as Home Secretary. When people are looking at you for leadership, where do you get your strength from? I think there's something inside
3: all of us. There's a tenacity, there's a, an ambition, there's a desire to get things done, to make a difference inside you. Whether you're in public service, the charities, or you're driving a business that actually says, this is why I get up in the morning. So you've got to have something internal to yourself. The The second is the satisfaction you get back, because you do from seeing things change for the better you, you can take pride without being egotistical. There's nothing wrong with being proud of what you do and to want to do it even better. And that's why you need both sharp minds around you. In my case, it was special advisors as, as well as ministers. I pretty well picked my ministers. Sometimes Tony asked me to take people who I was a little bit iffy about, and we had to meld people into the team. I was able to pick all my own special advisors, and that really did make a difference. Mm. But in, in the end, you've got to like what you're doing. I mean, the the, the people who are un, unhappy in their skin, they, they it's very difficult to perform if you're in the wrong business or in the wrong department of a business or if you're really hating teaching or in politics. You, you're just in the wrong department. I was very lucky because education and employment were my first loves in terms of what I wanted to do, and I got the job for four years. I'd then come to the conclusion that there were really big challenges for us. It turned out even bigger than I expected with the attack on the World Trade Mm Centre three months after I became Home Secretary. But the big challenges of security, of reducing crime, of dealing with the development of positive citizenship, which also had a read-over in terms of immigration, the kind of things Mm -hmm. that change people's lives either for the better or the worse. And you don't get everything right. That's the other thing you've got to recognize, which is why being part of a broader team, being able to take criticism but not always accept it <laughs> a, because otherwise you blow with the wind, that, that, that's the, the measure. And I think if we can share those traits, those experiences, those different elements through the Leadership Council, if we can get people from very, very different leadership managerial roles and delivery roles to actually be able to share that experience, everyone will gain something from it because that dialogue will inform, it will avoid people reinventing the wheel, it will take people a lot further
2: than the the niche, for good or ill, the niche that they're in at the moment. Um, David, In the very, in the couple of minutes we have left, um, I will be mean and put you on the spot and ask you for predictions perhaps in three things. What will happen in the Labour leadership contest? How will the next few months go for the government after Brexit? uh, Well, after we leave the European Union on the 31st of January? And where will Sheffield Wednesday finish in the league? Lord above, I'm not. I'm not sure which is the most difficult of those <laughs> questions. I, I've already
3: indicated where my support is for the the Labour leadership. If we take it at the end of January, 2020, Keir Starmer has clearly got a got off to a very very um, strong start. I think, however, it will be very much down to who can reach those parts of the. Labour Party membership that came in on the back of Jeremy Corbyn's election in 2015 to that post who can be persuaded that what they want to see and the change the big changes they'd like to enact can only be brought about in any form if we win and we win back the people the tragic loss of people on our side uh, mm. in December 2019, uh, and that that's got to be Lisa Nandi or, or Kia. On on the, um, the the next few months, I think that the government will probably do quite well. I, I I think that there are real dangers ahead in just having 11 months to negotiate trade deals, especially with bellicose pronouncements about we're not going to have alignment, as though. Alignment in itself is a bad thing when some of it will be very good. So I think there are dangers, but I think there's quite a bit of momentum going with the government at the moment, and that will be reflected in relationships, in doing deals in Europe and facing outwards to the rest of the world. Sheffield Wednesday, God help me. I mean, you know, how is it that two of the things that are most important to me, other than my family and loved ones, is football and, and politics... I think Sheffield Wednesday will be hard-pressed now to get into the playoffs. If we do, I think we could pull it off. But I am really reluctant.
2: And I think on that prediction, your reputation will be judged. Lord Blunkett, thank you very much for joining us today. God bless you, Jonathan.
0: This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye.